Hello, and welcome to Around the Table, a podcast about food stories from science to everyday life. We thought for our first podcast, we would introduce ourselves and say a little bit about our vision. Stanley, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I'm Stanley Wiliasik, and I'm Professor of Human Ecology at the University of Oxford, um, um, which is in the School of Anthropology. I'm also head of something called the Unit for Biocultural Variation and Obesity, sort of fascination for understanding the non-medical aspects of obesity, and we run this from an anthropology department. Things I'm interested in um, and have been lifelong interested in is the evolution of the human diet, um, food from a comparative perspective, that is, you know, how different people choose what they eat and how they eat, um, and also, you know, what is it that contributes to the development of obesity in most recent times. And I'm Tess Bird. Um, I'm currently a Mellon postdoctoral fellow at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, and I'm a medical and material anthropologist, and I'm mostly interested in the human negotiation of uncertainty under transition and change, but that has a lot to do with uh, diet and health and well-being, um, especially in the household. And I've also studied under Stanley in nutritional anthropology at Oxford. Um, And we, Stanley and I started this podcast uh, to talk about some of the gaps we face between food and nutrition sciences in everyday life, particularly in the household. Um, We're interested in household food practices and household food insecurity. Yeah, there are a lot of gaps between food, the stuff we eat, and the idea of nutrition, which are the substances in food that we need to function as human beings. There's, there's a lot of misunderstanding here. We hope that some of these podcasts can shed some light into these gaps. These gaps can easily be filled. Others, however, turn out to be big gaping potholes. And, you know, even if we can't fill a pothole, I think, we think, it helps to know where the pothole is. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I, th- I think that one of the big gaps for a lot of people is just translating all this huge wealth of scientific information to the messiness of their everyday lives. And I know personally, even if I have the best possible intentions to eat healthy and know all this information about food, I can get so easily derailed depending on my mood or how busy I am or who I'm eating with. Yeah, food really is messy. It's messy to think about as well as to do. So we hope we can focus down on why eating healthily looks like it should be easy, but actually gets so easily derailed. Right. It's really, really seems difficult these days. Um, And I think overall, you and I feel we need a better integration of evidence, not just about food and nutrition sciences, but about what's going on in people's everyday lives and other things that maybe on the surface don't have anything to do with food, like stress and household conflict and moods and sleep. Would you say that's true? Yeah, absolutely. How could it not be? Um, so many things affect what we eat and when we eat. So many things determine what eating healthy is at different times of life. Um, there's a huge amount of really good science out there that can help us. And a lot of time it doesn't reach the people that could really benefit from it. That is you. <laughs> right. 
So for this podcast, Stanley and I decided he would interview experts in food and nutrition and health sciences, and I would interview households chosen based on challenges faced around food eating and diet-related health. But then everything changed for all of us. Yes, it did for all of us. Um, that's when we decided to have a sub-series and do these other interviews, which we call Lockdown Food. So on the first strange day of lockdown in the UK, in Oxford, where I live and work, the supermarkets were packed. There was panic buying for food. Like tomorrow, there might be a nuclear explosion and we'd all have to drop into the bunker for a length of time. No one could specify or even predict. I wasn't immune to this myself. I, I don't think many people were. I think people in many parts of the US are more used to having food reserves at home if there's some kind of natural disaster just to be ready for it. But in the UK, it's much less so. So the panic buying of food and of toilet rolls, um, this served an uncertainty about food and future availability of food and security and all kinds of things, you know. Um, the toilet rolls, well, this podcast series is polite and respectful, so it's best left there. There are lots of memes about toilet rolls. Uh, I'm sure you've all seen them. Um Things have settled down since uh, since that first day of lockdown. Uh, but the food issue has affected pretty well everybody in different ways. And we'd like to know some of the stories behind the headlines and some of the stories behind some of the statistics. Right. And actually, so Stanley, you and I are both a part of different research projects that are investigating households during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um But this podcast, we sort of conceived to be a separate way to record what's going on in household food culture around the world and make it available much more quickly than research. Yeah, it's something that we really need to know about because the world doesn't stop changing. And food cultures are changing pretty well quickly everywhere and not to some homogeneous global food culture that many people were predicting some 20 years or so ago. If anything, what people eat has become more varied, more flexible, And beyond the people we know and directly observe or see in the media, we've really got no idea of how and how fast food cultures are being changed. So the lockdown series, um, this marks a significant time in everybody's life. You'd be able to say what you were doing during lockdown and COVID-19 in the year 2020, the time when things were turned upside down and in some ways some things changed forever. Food and eating, how did this change for people during lockdown? What changed for the short term? What might change for the long term? What might change forever? Different people, different households. All of these, either of those can experience the same thing in very different ways. We, we want to see how a number of people and households respond to the uncertainties and insecurities that lockdown has created. Um, The accounts are diverse, they're illuminating and cover topics we weren't expecting to find when we we started to uh, scout around for people to interview. Right, definitely. I I think it's particularly fascinating so far to see these different trends emerging all over the world, like sourdough, which comes up quite a bit. Um, But I hear everyone talk about it a little differently. So it's still, you know, these, these trends are kind of embedded in different cultural contexts and, and household contexts. And I think one of the coolest things for me personally is having access to our international conversations with colleagues in different countries, many of whom study some aspect of food, and to hear their different and yet very similar experiences. Which 
leads me to a kind of inspiration for this podcast, the the name Around the Table, Food Stories from Science to Everyday Life, um, actually comes from these international collaborations that happen around this table in Stanley's office, <laughs> a magic table. So Stanley, do you want to tell us a bit more about your table and what it symbolizes? Yeah, the magic table. Um, it's kind of got that name quite recently. So many people sat around it and so many good ideas have come out of it. So much good research has come from sitting around this table. So the table itself, it's a real table. Um, it's an old gnarly table, which I inherited when I moved into my present office in Oxford about 20 years ago. Um, it is gnarly. It could do with the top being sanded down, oiled with wood, wood oil. Um, it's a good old-fashioned table. It could do with being polished, but, you know, I don't want to do that um, because for me that would erase the marks of time, all of the conversations that I had around the table in the past. I kind of feel, you know, you touch it and you're kind of touching on, on, on things that have happened in the past. So I work in the University of Oxford's Department of Anthropology and I could rattle off the top of my head more than two handfuls of the great and the good in anthropology and in other disciplines that have sat around the table. For me, the biggest thrill was sharing a mug of builder's tea with Bruno Latour over a decade ago. This was when the unit for biocultural variation and obesity was just getting started. And in a very quirky kind of way, he conferred a secular blessing upon the unit. Um, very Bruno Latour, very unpompous, very grounded, and more than a little bit magical. I kind of sat and thought he'd be a great grandfather to somebody. So, you know, this became the magical table. It wasn't Latour that made it magical. It was all the people that have that have shared in one way or another around this table. Yeah. And, and just being a part of it for, you know, several years now, it's such a, it really is magical. All the people you meet and there's always delicious bread and cheese from the little shop around the corner and fruit off the local trees and... Yeah, a simple lunch is an important feature of, uh, of, of many of the seminars. So uh, the unit for biocultural version of obesity, you know, shortened to UBVO. The seminars, we have the lunchtime seminars, and afterwards we have a basic, nutritious, good lunch. Very simple. Anybody who attends the seminars can come and socialize. They can ask the speaker questions. They can ask follow-up questions. There are people who wouldn't dare ask a question, a room full of of, of, of seemingly intimidating and, and authoritative people, but around the table with bread and cheese, everybody's happy to talk. And that is how a lot of the science happens. So we've had so many amazing speakers, and they all love the idea of the simple lunch, you know, making the science social. Yeah, and I think like for me, being a student there, it was one of the few very egalitarian places in Oxford to have um, just like open and meaningful conversations with with all sorts of fascinating scholars and, and hear, you know, about their everyday lives, not just about their work. Um, so it also, I think for this podcast, that was an inspiration in a lot of ways is what does this idea of sitting around a table do for, for research? Um, and the other thing that comes to mind is the idea of round tables, which in, in academia are, are ways that we can present, um, talks in a more egalitarian way so different people can talk about an issue at stake in a more collaborative form so i think that we're bringing that concept in as well to this podcast stanley is there anything else you want to say for 
No. Uh, listen, I hope you find the podcasts enjoyable. I hope that if you find them interesting, if they give you one new thought, that the podcast will have done their job. Um, uh, the world is wonderful. There's full of amazing people, and 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 we we hope to speak to some of them. Yes, and actually in our second episode, we're going to sit around this virtual table and talk to some researchers from the UK, Denmark, and Switzerland about their everyday food lives during lockdown. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Thanks, Stanley. (laughs) Thanks, Tess. Around the Table is a personal production of Dr. Tess Bird and Professor Stanley Uliajak, who are anthropologists of food and nutrition and of household uncertainty and insecurity. The opinions and ideas expressed are solely those of the contributors and podcasters and do not reflect the opinions of any university body. We currently do not receive funding nor make money from this podcast. The music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you for tuning in.